opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. The following programming has been made possible in part by the generous support of BITS, Blind Information Technology Specialists. An affiliate of the American Council of the Blind, BITS provides career development for computer professionals. For over 50 years, BITS has been on the forefront of industry, promoting and advocating on information access and technology that improves the quality of life for people who are blind and visually impaired. Learn more about BITS programs and how to become a member by visiting their website at www.bits-acb.org. California, Florida, Iowa, Texas, guide dog users, students, IT professionals, government employees. The American Council of the Blind has members in all 50 states and is actively engaged in a wide variety of activities. We advocate for the education, employment, and social inclusion of all blind and visually impaired Americans. We publish a monthly magazine. We hold an annual conference and convention and operate a multi-channel internet radio station. Check us out at acb.org. Together, we can do anything. Join me, Brian McCallan, on Speaking Out for the Blind. I interview blind newsmakers to inspire the population to go for their dreams. Speaking Out for the Blind airs Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern on ACB Media One. Welcome to Speaking Out for the Blind. I'm Brian McCallan. Colorado Public Radio in Centennial, Colorado reports that blind people have been business professionals, politicians, community activists, and artisans throughout the state's history. But all of their stories have gone untold. Historian Peggy Chong wants to tell those stories. Peggy is known as the Blind History Lady for her research on the personalities of the visually impaired communities of Colorado and around the world. Peggy joins us to talk about her research. Hi, Peggy. Good morning. Good morning. Tell us about yourself. Well, I am a person who never liked history, which people find hard to believe nowadays. And I grew up in the blind community of North Dakota and Minnesota. My mother was blind. I have three of my four siblings who are blind as well. So I kind of was one of those, you know, who grow up in their teens and early 20s thinking they know everything about blindness. I found out a few years later that I knew very little about blindness when I started to clean out a bunch of old records and came across letters from the 1920s. And they were talking about our blind congressman. Of course, they didn't give the name. And I just I had never heard that there had ever been a blind congressman, so I was eager to find out. Was it those records that got you into history? Actually, no. I was curious about them, and I I kept a lot of the papers that I was supposed to throw away, and I started collecting magazine articles or biographies of blind people that were written up in other publications that interested me. But what really got me interested in it was the winter of 2000, when I decided to do my family tree. And Ancestry Research was just taking off at that time. Ancestry.com was new, didn't have all the things on it that it has today. So I joined a genealogical society and found 
um, other people who taught me how to do the real nitty-gritty research when you can't find anything online. My family was one of those that didn't have a, a large footprint online, and so I learned a lot about how to dig out those old stories. And in the process of doing my family history, I would come across uh, a news article to the side or a reference to another blind person in town, and I'd set that aside. Then when I got stumped, I would pull out some of those names of blind people and start researching. And I have learned so much about history that they don't teach you in school in the last uh, 20 some years that has just fascinated me, mostly because it started to mean something to me personally. It affected my family, my relatives, and then it transitioned over into me as a blind person and learning about the wonderful histories that so many of our blind ancestors have that we should know about, that we should be telling. Um, you know, like the blind congressman from Minnesota was Thomas David Shaw, who also went on to be a blind U.S. senator. And very few people know that there ever was a blind congressman or a blind senator. So, how do you do your work as a legally blind historian? <laughs> that was the beauty of doing these genealogical classes. There are a lot of other people out there like me. And in the early days, it was making a donation to a genealogical society in Oregon and say, you know, I'm looking for information on so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, and here's the data that I have. And that person would be so eager to go and find it, they would bring it back to me and many times more. Um, I have now, of course, Ancestry.com has a lot more on it. There are other websites that are some accessible. I do a lot of interviewing of the descendants of the blind ancestors. Some of them are great nieces, great nephews, because as many of you know, blind people were not encouraged to have children in the 1800s, early 1900s, and even sometimes today. So our blind ancestors did not have the children to tell the stories to keep their their parents or their grandparents' memory alive. But some of the nieces and nephews uh, do that. And so I do some of that. In Colorado here, we found a treasure trove of old records, minute books, newspaper clippings, letters that for a lot of reasons, not just the fact that um, they were difficult to read as a blind person. They were difficult to read for a sighted person because they were over a hundred years old. They were decaying. They were moldy. Uh, they were water damaged. The ink had spread out on the page, making it difficult to read. So first of all, we went around and preserved them by making a digital image of them and creating a digital file. Then I started a project, uh, another lady and I, where we recruited over a hundred volunteers to take all of those digitized files and 
type them into a Word or text document because even though some of the files were typed, even though they were in good condition, because the font was 70, 80, 90 years old, they did not OCR. We OCR'd everything and got a lot of garbage. So that's the volunteers. And that was during COVID. So COVID, in um, my case, uh, was not quite so bad because it allowed us to pick up a lot of those volunteers who had nothing else to do. And they spent hundreds and hundreds of hours digitizing those. Um, but a lot of it is calling people up, talking to people, getting people to read um, documents for me, uh, using the old skills of going to college and needing a, a reader because everything else is not in an accessible format. A lot of that came in handy as well. So uh, I have many ways to do it. I used to scan everything and, you know, with Kurzweil, um, that sometimes worked, sometimes it didn't. I've gotten pretty good at deciphering what words might be from the context of the other words around them. Uh, for example, TBO often to me is the, and I have gotten pretty good at doing that because I've been doing this now for well over 20 years. Why? Do you think it's important to tell these people's stories? I began to feel this was important to me because I needed more role models like me. I grew up in the blind community knowing the blind rug weavers, the blind door-to-door salesmen, the blind janitors. And at the time, I was some ashamed of them because why weren't they going and being lawyers and teachers and so on? I did not realize that those were the people whose shoulders I was standing on, that those were the people who they may not have the nicest house. Maybe they lived in a trailer. Uh, one of the rug weavers lived in a trailer. But, you know, they sent their kids to college. Um, they made a living when other people wouldn't let them into any other professions. I want people to know that there's others like them. They're not the first ones. Even though I knew a lot of other blind people, I often felt, I think I'm the first one to ever do this. And that is so not true. When we go into a counselor's office, a rehabilitation professional, a social worker, especially newly blinded people, if they've been a banker and they've, they've gone blind, they want to go back into the banking industry or whatever career it might be, too often they're met with, I don't think a blind person has ever done that before. And that is a big step back, a step down to a person's self-confidence. When there have been blind bankers, one of the blind bankers was actually one of the 25 richest men in New Mexico when he passed away. But the reason those people don't know about it is they're not taught about it. We as blind people aren't taught our history. When you go to college to be a rehab professional, a social worker, counselor, you're not taught about the joys in life that blind people have accomplished 
blind people are studied for all of our medical or how fast we learned to pick up Braille. Um, did it take us two years? We're studied for all of that, but nobody has classes that says, here's these people who went on to be politicians, bankers, owned their own business because no one would hire them, were electricians, construction workers, uh, architects. We don't hear those stories. And if we do, the only place we hear them is in a magazine article, newspaper story about the magnificent blind person. Isn't it so wonderful that they did this? But we don't hear how they did it. We don't hear how they got that far because sighted people don't understand, so they gloss over that. Well, you we found two from pe- blind people. Well, you found two people, um, Governor Ammons. Elias say, M. Ammons, yes. Uh, Elias M. Ammons, okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Legally blind Colorado Governor Ammons. And you also uh, learned a lot about another person named Jenny Coward Jackson, who secured jobs for blind people in the state during the early 1900s. Talk about some of their accomplishments and how they helped the blind. Jenny Coward Jackson is a very interesting lady. I think I would have liked her. She's a real spitfire. She (laughs) went to the Kansas School for the Blind. Um, Later in life, she graduated from public school. She had trouble with her eyes, but we're talking the, you know, um, 1870s and so on where, you know, you didn't have a, a legally blind category. And so she managed to get through uh, the eighth grade and started teaching public schools, but lost all her sight. So she went to the Kansas uh, School for the Blind and learned how to read and write New York Point, um, gained a lot of confidence in herself. She taught there for a little while, and then her family moved to Colorado. She came with and found a desert of services for blind people. Um, in her opinion, Kansas was far ahead of Colorado. There was a school for the blind here in Colorado, and that was pretty progressive for our state because it was here before statehood. But there was nothing for adults, and she wanted to help make something happen for adults. She met up with some uh, blind folks around 1905, 1906 in Denver, who were like-minded, and Jenny was, she was the the energy behind a lot of it. They passed legislation to start a sheltered workshop for the blind that went on for about another 50 years. She promoted a home teacher position and finally became a home teacher, uh, the only one in the state for blind people. She got a salary and a bit of a stipend, of which she spent all of that on traveling and supplies and so on. Jenny would go to a community. She would uh, take the train or buggy to a community and set up groups of blind people. And she'd start teaching them uh, New York Point. She would get them subscriptions to magazines. Um, she would teach them some handicraft work. She would work with them on what they did. If they were a woodworker 
uh, before they went blind, she would encourage them to get back into that. And she would start these classes. She'd stay for like a week, two weeks, and then she'd come back like six months later. She would encourage them to write up stories, uh, to write letters, and then they would give it to the next person to correct. But it was also a accumulating their own little library, if you will, so that they had other things to read and build up their skills. And she did find people jobs in factories because they had gained confidence in themselves. Um, she would help find stores that would sell their goods. Some of them actually went into making homemade items and selling them through the stores to make a living. Uh, but she was then the person that found all these blind people across the state. And now this group of blind people in Denver had grown. And one of the people who had come into the fold was Elias M. Ammons, who was the blind governor of Colorado. Uh, Elias had gone blind uh, in his teens. He had lost enough vision where today he probably would be considered legally blind. He wanted to be a newspaper man, found out he didn't think that would work. Um, at the time, he had not met the blind man here in Denver, Lute Wilcox, who was the editor and publisher of Field and Farm magazine, did a lot of writing for Field and Farm magazine. He was totally blind. He ran a print shop, uh, an advertisement agency, and so on. Uh, these people got together. Elias knew a lot about legislation, and a newly blinded legislator uh, also came into the mix. He ran for uh, the legislature because he, as an adult blind man, as an adult man who had just gone blind, could find no services. And he had a lot of money, and he spent a lot of money trying to find services for him to go back to being a lawyer. So... These uh, four people in particular, Lou Wilcox, Elias Ammons, Jenny, and um, Downing, who was the uh, legislature, they put legislation together. Uh, Jenny was out there in the community getting all of these people from around the state to send in uh, petitions and support and got this legislation passed that created a Commission for the Blind in Colorado. It created a, uh, it, I believe it did use the word pension, which is why it got killed about five years later. But it created an equal pension for blind people across the state so that if you were living in one county or one town and you were getting $4 a month, uh, if you moved maybe two miles, you could get $10 a month. It evened all of that out and a lot of other things. So Elias Ammons, who was a rancher, uh, after he found he couldn't be a newspaper guy, he was a very eloquent speaker, spoke uh, to many committee meetings, to the legislature about the concerns ranchers were having about the railroads coming through and um, they were being... Uh, their cattle were being cut off from water holes and so on. He was elected to the state uh, House of Representatives, served for several terms. Then he became a state senator. And then he took a few years off of politics and then was elected governor of the state for two years. His son, um, Teller, 
became another governor of our state as well. So he's left quite a long legacy. Uh, Elias did not get involved in blind issues until he became governor and he started to meet Jenny, who was constantly trying to get money for lots of programs. Um, and that brought it to his attention. He had always been rather a progressive man in that he was first to one of the first people to recognize a women's right to vote. So he was very supportive and helped craft a lot of legislation and uh, promotional material to promote the issues of blind people in our state. How do you think that Colorado, how do you think for Colorado, how do you think the state compares to other states in the United States in terms of all the services and the rights for the blind and visually impaired today? You know, it kind of depends on how you choose to look at it. I would say that we're somewhere in the middle. But what I have found in my research, and one of the reasons I really got into the research is I wanted to know what the key was to be the successful blind person. What did I need? What education did I need? What skills did I need? Did I need a rich family? What what was a common denominator of all of the really successful blind people? And what I found is that it really didn't matter if you got a good education, if you were blinded young or old, if you went to a school for the blind or you did not. What mattered was that you had something inside of you that said, you know what, I'm just not going to let this keep me down. There are some very successful and interesting blind people here in Colorado, yet there are others in other states who are just as equally interesting and have accomplished um, an equal amount of success. And uh, I think that it's more important what you have in you and what you're willing to say, you know, to yourself, okay, this is a problem, but I'm going through it. I am not going to let it draw the line and stop me from achieving what I want. How can we learn more about your research? I have a monthly email list that I send out to all of my followers, and anyone can get on my email list by shooting me an email to theblindhistorylady at gmail.com, and you will get a monthly email highlighting one of our blind ancestors. I also am self-published on Smashwords. Smashwords is all one word, smashwords.com, and then search for Peggy Chong or Blind History Lady. And all of my about 13 books are up there that I have self-published. You can also just shoot me an email and, and uh, ask some questions or, or tell me about a person that has been important in your life. That might be a really interesting person for me to research next. Peggy, thanks for coming on the show today and providing us insight into Colorado's visually impaired communities. Thank you very much. Before we go, listeners, I welcome your comments on this program. Just visit and like me on Facebook at Speaking Out for the Blind or follow me on X, formerly Twitter, at Speak Out Blind or Speak Out for the Blind. You can also check out my website at speakingoutfortheblind.weebly.com. More information on today's show is posted there. Just look at a list of episodes and show news tab. And my show archive is at speaking-out-for-blind.pinecast.co.
That's all for this edition of Speaking Out for the Blind. Thanks for listening. And remember to speak out. You are listening to ACB Media One, also known as Mainstream, the flagship of the ACB Media Network. The ACB Media Network is a service of the American Council of the Blind. Please visit us at acbradio.org.